0: I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Luke's Gospel chapter 24. The Gospel by Luke chapter 24, and we're reading at verse 13, and as you turn and find the place, I want to thank Bill for his kind words of welcome. It's lovely to be with you in Greens this morning. Do remember again our service tonight, if there's someone unconverted that you can gather under the sound of the Gospel, or someone who's backslidden then do bring them with you again this evening as we preach the gospel. But it's lovely to be with you, and it was lovely to be at Peter and Lucy's wedding last Wednesday, and we knew the Lord's presence, and we knew the Lord's blessing. And I join with Bill in wishing them God's richest blessing in the days ahead. In fact, Peter and Lucy, if you're watching in this morning, it's raining in Northern Ireland, but you're enjoying the sun there in Italy, and we trust that the Lord's blessing might be upon you. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, please. And we're reading at the verse 13. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. And we're reading at the verse 13. I want to talk to you this morning about holy heartburn. Holy heartburn. Luke 24 and verse 13. Let's just bow together for a moment in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for the word of God. We thank you, Father, that we hold in our hands the infallible, inspired, and errant word of the living God. We believe, Lord, that with all our hearts, that when Scripture speaks, God speaks. And our Father, we pray that as we come to thy word this morning, that we might know the energizing power of the Spirit of God. Lord, that you would speak into our hearts this morning. Father, how we need that reviving touch in these days. O God, how we need the Spirit of God to come upon us afresh, that we might know the quickening power of the Spirit of God in our lives in these days. Father, we pray that as we come to Thy Word this morning, Lord, we would simply pray, speak, Lord, in the stillness. While we wait on Thee, hush our hearts to listen in expectancy. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. The the Gospel by Luke, chapter 24, please. And we're reading at the verse 13. And be told, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs, about seven miles. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. It came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Isn't that a beautiful expression? Isn't the King James Version beautiful in its grammar and in its phrases? Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holy, they should not know them. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk on her side? The one of them whose name was Cleopas answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him, But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so, as the women had said. But him they saw not. Then he said unto the O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things, and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And he made as though it would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent." And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened. And they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the Scriptures. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them sang, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. Let's just keep our Bibles open there at Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. David Livingstone was born on the 19th of March, 1813, in Blantyre, in South Lanarkshire in Scotland. His father would often put him on his knee and read him great missionary stories. One day when he was just a young boy, David Livingston said this, You know, Daddy, I want to be a missionary just like that. And so David Livingston in his young life got on his knees one day and he prayed this prayer, Send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden upon me. Only sustain me. Sever any ties; Only the ties that bind me to your service and to your heart. And he said through it all, he heard the words of the Lord Jesus coming to him. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. He packed his bags and set off for Africa. And when he took a look at the continent of Africa, he wrote these words within his journal. The haunting specter. Of the smoke of a thousand villages in the morning sun has burned within my heart. In 1845, he married a lady called Mary Moffat and they had four children. However, life was too dangerous for Mary and the kids in Africa. And so he sent them back home in the year 1852. And do you know when he saw them again? Not five days, not five weeks. Not five months, but five years. And when Mary saw him after five years, she barely recognized him. He was blind in one eye. His face had been scorched and scarred by the African sun. He had been mauled by a lion. And yet it is said that when David Livingston walked into any university in the United Kingdom, the faculty and the students stood to their feet for they realized they were in the presence of a man of God. Finally, he said, Mary, I must go back to Africa. The haunting specter of the smoke of a thousand villages in the morning sun is still burning within my heart. David Livingston went back on his own, and after some time, Mary joined him. And the day she stepped onto the African soil, she contracted a disease, and he buried her within a few days. He picked up his belongings and he returned to his village home. Finally, he got so weak the natives had to carry him from village to village that he might preach the gospel. One day, he said to to one day he said to them, "Take me home. I'm very ill." They wanted him to to be put to bed. He said, put me on my knees. It was there that some time later they found David Livingstone dead. The haunting specter of the smoke of a thousand villages in the morning sun has burned within my heart. My Christian friends, is that not our greatest need today? We need churches and Christians aglow for God, on fire for the Lord. The early church so turned the world upside down, that in three centuries, one-tenth of the Roman Empire was Christian, a heart on fire for God. Is that not what this passage is all about? I mean, here is Cleopas, and possibly Mary, his wife, two of the Lord's disciples, And their faces are toward the village of Emmaus. These sad disciples walk with feet of lead as heavy as their heart. And of course they talk together. I mean, enough things have been happening in the city of Jerusalem to keep them talking for a very long time. The wonder-working Savior had come riding into the city, healed by the people as the very Messiah himself. The religious establishment, however, determined to put him to death, had, had bought Judas, browbeaten Pilate, manipulated them all. They had handed the Lord Jesus to his death and to his cross. And now three days later, it was evidently all over. And here were two of the Lord's disciples and they were going home and they were walking along the mountain road and then Jesus comes alongside. Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. Is your heart not burned within you as the risen Lord has talked with you and walked with you by the way? What I want you to do with me this morning is simply this. I want you to walk this Emmaus road with me. And as we do, I trust that we meet the living Lord and have a holy heartburn. There are three pictures that I want you to notice in this story. Have a look at them this morning. Here's the first thing. I want you to notice the stranger that is unrecognized. I say stranger, for look at verse 18. And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering said unto him, art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days what a question he was no stranger in Jerusalem he had watched over its history for 2000 years if the truth be told it was his city as far as the things which had taken place there well he knew, about, he knew more about those things than they did they had happened to him that he had wounds on his back, he had scars on his feet and his hands, to prove it, these two disciples walked seven miles with Christ and they didn't know that it was he himself who was walking with them unrecognized. Do you see verse 16? It says, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. I think they were divinely kept from recognizing the Lord Jesus, so that they would base their understanding of the resurrection squarely on scripture and not on experience. You see, their faith needed to be based on scripture, not on the bodily presence of Jesus Christ. My dear friends, is it not the same today? It's the word of God that God wants us to know. It's the word of God that is the basis of our faith. And blinding the eyes of these two, allowed Christ to teach them from the word. And it was such word that it was such teaching that caused their hearts to burn within them. The stranger that is unrecognized. Are there not times when the Lord goes unrecognized by us? Do we not have to confess? That sometimes we're blinded to His person, we're blinded to His presence, we're blinded to His purpose without question. He's near us, He's with us, He's around us, and yet for some strange reason we fail to recognize Him. I mean, have a look at these broken hearted disciples. They were disappointed, they were disillusioned, they were devastated. They needed a word from God. Did God care? Indeed He did. Our resurrected Lord perfectly understood the confusion in their hearts. He not only knew their geographical location, he knew their spiritual condition. Can you see here his walk with them? Look at that phrase again in verse 15. Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. Now that's lovely in English, but in Greek the scholars tell us it's more beautiful. The tense here is in the imperfect. It's the tense of going on and on and on. Literally, while they were communing together, while they were reasoning together, Jesus Himself drew near and they and went with them. You see, they were so absorbed in their conversation. That they didn't realize that he was walking with them. They did not hear his footfall. They did not recognize that someone was by their side. The risen Lord was there and he was walking with them. And they did not realize it. I wonder has that been your experience? Has the risen Lord not intruded into your difficult moments, into your dark problems, into your depressing circumstances? I mean, have a look at these two disciples for a moment. Emotionally, they were distressed. Look at verse 17 and notice that word sad. It means dreary. It's the downcast look of settled grief. Oh, there was a lot of sadness around that first Easter Sunday morning among the disciples of Christ. You remember the disciples mourned and wept. Mary stood at the sepulcher weeping. And now these two on the road to Emmaus are sad. But Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. He still does, doesn't he? I wonder this morning, could these two be a picture of you? Have you lost a best friend? Are you passing through trial, through sorrow, through bereavement, through disappointment? I wonder this morning, do you feel so utterly low, alone? Do you feel that, lo- that no one cares? Listen, Christ cares. Indeed, he himself has said, I will never leave thee, I will never forsake thee. Emotionally, they were distressed. Look at verse 21. Politically, they were disillusioned. They said to this stranger, But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this today is the third day since these things were done. Well, whatever had he been doing on the cross? If he had not been providing redemption for Israel and for all mankind. You see, these two, like so many in Israel, they were looking for a political messiah. One who would deliver their nation from the tyranny of Rome. One who would kick out the forces of Rome. But their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations had been destroyed by the crucifixion of Jesus. We get the impression that these two disciples were discouraged because God didn't do what they wanted him to do. Politically disillusioned. wonder this morning, dear friend, do you feel the same way? I wonder, are you anxious about events, current events, locally, nationally, internationally? Maybe you're here this morning and you're fearful concerning our nation, our security, our province, our land, its present, its future, maybe maybe COVID or Brexit, or the protocol has been clouding your vision. Listen, whatever happens, Jesus himself will draw near and he'll go with us. Emotionally, they were distressed. Politically, they were disillusioned. Have a look again. Spiritually, they were disorientated. They were confused. Look at their conversation in verse 22. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came saying, that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even so, as the women had said. But him they saw not. Their faith had been shaken. Their hope had been shattered. Sure, they had seen the mighty deeds of the Lord Jesus. They had seen him turn water into wine. They'd seen him raise a man from the dead. Their faith had been alive, it had been vibrant, but now it's all in the past tense. He was a prophet, but Christ is no longer real to them. The empty tomb which was good news to them was bad news because they thought that someone had stolen the body, spiritually disorientated. I wonder, is that you this morning? Is your faith shaken? Maybe there was a time when your heart burned with faith. But the wear and tear of life has got hold upon you. And your faith is limping along this morning like a crippled bird. You've been living the Christian life for a period of years. But the truth of the matter this morning is this. Your heart is cold. You need that holy heartburn. I heard about a professor who wrote a very learned book on love. The only defect was that the old professor had never been in love. And when he took the, manus- when he took the manuscript to a typist to have it tape for the publisher, the typist turned out to be a very lovely lady. Uh, and when their eyes met, something happened to the old professor that wasn't in the book. And he was happier in five minutes with love in his heart than he was in 30 years with love in his head. I I wonder this morning, dear friends, does something like that not need to happen to us? Oh, we come and we go, we go through the motions, but we lack passion, we lack purpose, we lack burning hearts. We have got the facts, but where is the fire? We've got the theology, but where is the doxology? We've got the fundamentals, but where is the fervency? We've got the learning, but where is the love? Can you see his walk with them? Can you see his talk to them? He asks them a question. Look at verse 17. What manner of communications are these? that ye have one to another as ye walk on her side? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? He had been at the heart of all that had happened in Jerusalem. And now he was asking them to tell him what he already knows. But bless God, we can come to the throne of grace this morning. And pour out our hearts to him. My friends. Is it not amazing. How it lightens the burden. When we tell the Lord about it. You remember what happened after the death of John the Baptist? We're told the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him, I wonder this morning, is that what you do? Is that what you're doing? Do you tell it to Jesus? Do you bring your difficulties to the Lord Jesus? Do you bring your needs to the Lord Jesus? Do you bring your bereavements, your sorrows, your victories, your cares to the Lord Jesus? How the Savior delights For us to come to him and tell him everything that is on our hearts. The stranger that is unrecognized. Picture number two. The scripture that is unfolded. The stranger that is unrecognized. The scripture that is unfolded. How does Christ bring them into a new appreciation of himself? How does he set their hearts on fire? Well look at verse 27. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Or, another translation puts it, he interpreted unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The word expounded in verse 27 means to interpret fully. It's translated interpretation in Acts chapter 9. Is this not what our pulpits need to give to the people? Paul exhorts the young preacher boy, Timothy. He says, Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. Now, will you notice here the need for this exposition? Look at verse 25. Then said he unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. The word fools means slow at the uptake. The word all means they had a lopsided view of Scripture. They believed some of what Christ said, but but not all. They believed the glory part, but they couldn't accept the suffering part. They wanted a militant Messiah, but the Scriptures also spoke of a meek Messiah, they wanted a conquering Christ. One who would kick Rome out of their country. But the scriptures spoke of a crucified Christ. They wanted a sovereign Christ. But the scriptures also spoke of a suffering Christ. Slow to believe after all that the prophets have spoken. Is that us? We're selective in what we believe from the Bible. Do you love the passages about heaven? Ah, but you're we wee but. Slow and stumbling at the passages about holiness. Do you love to hear about grace? But you're not so glad to hear about giving. You love to hear about salvation, but perhaps you're not so glad to hear about consecration. Slow to believe. Is that not our problem? Do we not fail to keep God and his word to rest upon his promises? And the result is disappointment, disillusionment, bewilderment. My dear friends, listen this morning. The Lord has promised that he will keep you from falling, yet are you slow to believe. The Lord has promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you, yet are you slow to believe. The Lord has promised that his cause will will prosper, yet are you slow to believe. I mean, can you see here the need for this exposition? Look again, can you see here the nature of this exposition? Look at verse 27, it was biblical. He expounded unto them the scriptures. Now listen, here were two disappointed, disillusioned, discouraged disciples. How does the Lord handle their problem? How does he handle their problem? By turning their minds to the word of God. How typical of the Lord. He based everything on the inspired, inerrant, and fallible Word of God. His first and final court of appeal was the Bible. You say that's a simple lesson, but surely it's needed for our day and generation. It's needed for our churches. Listen, when we have problems in the assembly, where do we turn to? When we have problems in our own life, where do we turn to? Do we turn to the word of God? Do we say to ourselves, what saith the scripture on this matter? Is the word of God our constant guide? I'm convinced, my dear friends, if I knew this book better, I would have fewer problems. I want you to see that the nature of this exposition, it was biblical. But look again, look at verse 27, it was methodical. And beginning at Moses. Well, you say, Dennis, that's beginning at the very first part of the Bible. My dear friends, the Bible is a very organized book. However, the way you and I handle it, you would think that it had no structure. You would think that it had no organization to it. I want you to see that Christ was biblical that this exposition was methodical. And then look at verse 27 again. It was not only biblical, it was not only methodical, it was Christological, the things concerning himself. Did the Savior himself not say, Search the Scriptures. They are there which testify of me. From Genesis to Revelation and the volume of the book that is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O God, O oh, my law is within my heart. One of Ulster's greatest songs and greatest pictures was Dr. Paisley. He said this, the Bible is Christ's album. In the first five books, the Pentateuch, we have the first glimmerings of Christ. In the historical books, we have the foreshadowings of Christ. In the Psalms, we have the feelings of Christ. In the prophets, we have the, fore- we have the foretellings of Christ. In the Gospels, we have the facts of Christ. In the epistles, we have the fullness of Christ. In the book of Revelation, we have the finality of Christ. Do you see here, the greatest teacher, the Lord Jesus... Do you see here the greatest textbook, the Bible? Do you see here the greatest theme? The things concerning himself. That is the passages in scripture which refer to himself. You know, Christ did what some modern scholars aren't able to do. He saw himself in the Old Testament. Standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. You open the Bible anywhere and you find Christ somewhere. Christ is the key to the Scriptures. Wouldn't you like to be there that day when they were going down the mountain road to a mess and he spoke to them concerning the things concerning himself. Beginning at Genesis chapter 3 with the seed of the woman going up to Mount Moriah in Abraham's day with the offering up of Isaac. In Exodus, he would be perceived in the pas- as the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he would be perceived as the scapegoat in Numbers. He's the rock in the wilderness. In Joshua, he's the captain of the Lord's host in the Psalms. And then the prophets were told about his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. I wonder what the risen Lord said about Isaiah 9. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. What did he say about the son given? I wonder what Christ said when he came to Isaiah 53. Wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. What a Bible reading. Into Jeremiah, into Ezekiel, into Daniel, through the minor prophets. The things concerning himself. I wonder did Christ conclude with Malachi, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Can you imagine it? Can you picture it? Can you visualize it? The incarnate word? Interpreting the inspired word in the greatest Bible reading of all time on the Emmaus road, the living word brought the written word to life. Beyond the sacred page, they met the Lord. Do you know what the psalmist says? He says, while I was musing, the fire burn. Let me ask you this morning as a Christian, have you done any musing in this past week? The word musing means to go over, to meditate. Do you want to have a holy heart burn? You want your heart on fire for Christ to meet the living Lord? Get your heart into the word of God. Get the word of God into your heart. Jeremiah said, but his word was in mine heart as a burning fire. Shut up in my bone. Could it be this morning you've stepped into this room and you're disappointed and you're disillusioned and you're discouraged. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Get into the written word and you'll see Christ, the living word, and he'll set your heart on fire. I said there were three pictures in this story that I wanted to bring to you this morning. Picture number one, the stranger that is unrecognized. Picture number two, the scripture that is unfolded. Picture number three, the saviour that is unveiled. They're home now. The miles have melted away, and before, before they know it, they're there. Look at verse 28. Uh, and they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. It's toward evening. The day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. They constrained him. They pressed him. How how Christ loves to be implored by his people. He never turns away when he's invited, for we read, And he went in. Let me just pause there for a moment. It's a happy home that recognizes Christ as the Lord of the table. And remember, he's always there. Wouldn't our conversation at the dinner table today be different? If we remember Christ is there? Now, do you see what happened? Three things very quickly. There was a recognition of his person. Look at verse 30. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. Later on, we're told that he was known of them in breaking the bread. I wonder was it the way that Christ broke the bread and gave it to them that made them recognize him? Or was it this sight that you and I expect to see him grow in glory? The sight of those male scarred hands, whatever, they knew him. The unrecognized Christ was recognized and the scales were taken from their eyes. Can I ask you a very simple question, believer, this morning? Who or what has blurred your vision of Christ? Once you could testify with the psalmist, I have set the Lord always before me, but not now. I I wonder this morning, does your vision need to be restored? There was a recognition of his person. Look at verse 32. There was a realization of his presence. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? The word burn means to set on fire. It means to kindle. You see, broken hearts have given way to burning hearts. John Wesley on one occasion was asked the secret of his ministry. He said this, I ask God to set me on fire and let the people watch me burn. Often in the Bible, fire represents the presence of the Lord. You see, my dear friends, they realized the presence of the Lord and it gave them a burning heart. They were excited. They were fervent. They were zealous about Christ. What about your heart this morning? Spiritually, is it like ice? Or is it on fire? I mean... Let's be honest this morning. Isn't this holy heartburn lacking in our churches? Isn't it amazing that Christians can get all excited about politics and business and holidays and cars and farming and homes? But when it comes to the things of Christ, they are dead and cold. A recognition of his person. A realization of his presence. Notice there was a resumption of his purpose. They're off now. Look at verse 35, 33. It says, And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. That very hour they were off to tell others. Now think of it. When we go to Jerusalem, we get an air-conditioned coach outside Ben-Gurion Airport. We have that air-conditioned coach with us the whole way that we're in the land of Israel. That air-conditioned coach stays with us for eight or nine days and brings us back to the airport. Listen. They have tramped seven miles outside the city. They are dead weary with their travel, with the excitement. Ah, but they turn round and they go back to the city. Why? They have a message to proclaim, they have a fact to declare, they have a victory to share. Christ is risen. You see, they declare what they had come to know. Can I challenge you this morning in my own heart? Is that what we're doing? They went seven miles out of the way to share the Easter evangel, the Easter gospel. Have you and I ever gone seven yards out of our way to tell someone that today there's a Savior, tomorrow he's coming back to to judge? Have you a burning heart that propels you out in service for Christ? Back to David Lindenstein when he buried his wife on African soil he got down upon his knees and he prayed this prayer. My Jesus my King my all I again consecrate myself to thee. I shall place no value on anything I possess or anything I do except in relation to thy kingdom and to thy service. And through it all, Livingston said, he heard the words of the Savior, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. When eventually he returned to his home, someone had stolen his medicine. He desperately needed that medication because he was in constant pain. He got on his knees and said, "God, you promised. You promised that you would always be with me, and I need that medication if I'm continuing to preach the gospel to the African people." And as he prayed, he heard steps, and he looked up into the face of a white man, and he said, "Who are you, sir?" The white man said. Dr. Livingston, I pursued. He said, I'm a press reporter from the United Kingdom and I've come to do a story on your life and I want you to know two things, Dr. Livingston. Number one, I'm the biggest swaggering atheist on the face of the earth so please don't try and convert me. And number two, someone has sent medication for you. H.M. Stowley started to travel with David Livingston (laughs) and within four months, the biggest swaggering atheist on the face of the earth got down on African soil and gave his life to Jesus Christ. He said, "This the power." As I looked on Livingstone's life, the power of that Christ life, of that Christ life, was awesome. I could not hold out any longer. Livingstone's burning heart had brought H.M. Stanley to his knees. A heart, a glow for Christ. Is that your heart this morning? The haunting specter of the smoke of a thousand villages in the morning sun has burned within my heart. Fill me, O Lord, with thy desire. For all who know not thee, touch my lips with holy fire to speak of Calvary. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the instruction and the challenge of your word. We confess, Lord, that our hearts are dead, they're cold. We confess, Lord, that our churches are apathetic and indifferent. How we need this holy heartburn. Father, we pray that we may know what it is to cultivate that close walk with the Savior. We pray, Father, that our experience might be like those on the road to Emmaus, and that our testimony might be like those too. Did not our hearts burn within us as he opened to us the Scriptures? Talk to us. By the way, Lord, we pray That in these days we may not have broken hearts or burdened hearts, but burning hearts. And burning hearts that will propel us out in service to reach the lost for Christ. We ask these mercies in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.